I invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to the book of Psalms, chapter 85. Psalm chapter 85. We are actually continuing, uh, it's really part two of uh, what we looked at um, before the revival meetings, and that was the need of revival. Tonight we're going to be talking a little bit more about the work of revival, kind of what's involved in, in that. And so as we have been discussing uh, or listening to, uh, to Brother Willis and sharing the word with us last week, I praise God for, for using him and to be a blessing to us. And um, sometimes we need to get our toe step on just to wake us up a little bit and to really uh, think we can be easily become complacent in our Christian life, kind of go with the flow and, uh, you know, not realize, oh, wait a minute, we need to wake up a little bit. Uh, have you ever been driving down the road and, uh, you know, you're cruising along and, and when my wife and I were on deputation, we would put on thousands of miles and, you know, you're just kind of in the rhythm and, you know, you're driving an hour or two and, and all of a sudden, you know, something pulls out in front of you uh, or some driver decides to get a little too close. So what does that make you do? You are a little bit more observant, put both hands on the wheel for sure. And you're just, you're kind of watching them more carefully. And I think that's what we need to do in our own lives as well is just to be uh, cautious when things do come up, how do we handle those situations? And I think obviously I would say, first thing, turn to the Lord. Keep your eyes on Christ. And so this is uh, very important as we see that. So let's look at just uh, two verses again tonight. Uh, we're going to do a, a little bit of review from what we did a couple weeks ago and then kind of add to that. And I believe this will be a time of refreshing for us. Uh, even tonight, again, thinking about the theme of revival. So in Psalm 85, verses 6 and 7, we're going to look primarily at these two verses. It says, Wilt thou not revive us again? that thy people may rejoice in thee. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Two powerful verses, and verse 6 especially, wilt thou not revive us again? This is uh, often preached at, at revival meetings or when the topic of revival has come. So this is uh, a good verse. I remember our, our sending church up in Brainerd, First Baptist, for many years they actually had that verse um, uh, up on their wall behind the, the pulpit near the choir loft. And they had that for many years, and I just remember and, and always try to make a point to kind of ponder that verse uh, whenever I read it. And I think this is a good verse to have. And they have different verses up right now, but nonetheless, it's good to have these verses. Uh, one thing I would encourage you to do in your own walk with the Lord is maybe to take a maybe a three by five card or somewhere you could write out a verse and, and keep it present, keep it handy. Maybe a place that you often go to, maybe like the the refrigerator. You'll probably go there a couple times a day, right? Put something there. Or maybe while you're washing dishes or maybe uh, somewhere in your vehicle when you're driving, something you see that uh, maybe a, a scripture verse that will remind you just keeping your eyes on on, on the Lord uh, through all that. I think these are good practices, good disciplines that we should have in our life. So tonight, though, we're going to talk a little bit about the work of revival. So as a recap, let's talk a little bit, especially we have just come off of revival meetings and... Um, Again, let me kind of just share about that before we discuss what is revival more specifically, is when we think of revival meetings, uh, and depending on your background and your experiences, uh, that can mean a couple things to different people. What are revival meetings? And generally, we think of just a planned meeting. A speaker comes in for a period of days and uh, to preach on revival, hearts, people getting their hearts right with God, souls being saved, uh, sins confessed, things like that, good fellowship, things like that. And usually there's food associated with those type of meetings. And last week, 
Praise God, we had good food too, okay? So we kind of met those criteria. Um, how many remember that, maybe this is even a little before my time, how remember of revival meetings that lasted more than a week or two? Anyone ever hear of those? A couple of you, okay. There were some revival meetings, they just kind of went on and on and on. Some went for about three or four weeks even, um, depending on the preacher or kind of what was going on or if a, a certain church was hosting it or churches, they decided, yeah, let's go on for a few more days. Um, and they would have different preachers coming in. Let me share with you again. We lived down in the south, in the southeast for, for several years. And uh, one thing that is traditional uh, in, in a lot of different types of churches is that uh, area churches or area preachers are invited to come. And uh, usually they, in some churches they'll have a different preacher each night. Uh, maybe different pastor, different pastors will preach. And so what will happen sometimes is that in the midst of that, they also call preachers from the floor. In other words, let's say, uh, Brother Woody, you come up and give us a message. Just like that. You better be ready, okay? <laughs> I might just do that to you, okay? But anyways, that was often doing it. And also, they would even do that with singers, singers from the floor. And they said, okay, Brother Ron, you come up and give us a special. Okay, <laughs> and so it was. It's kind of. It, it depends on the church. It depends on the church culture. You know, each church operates just a little bit different, and so that is not unfamiliar uh, to do that. And so, uh, but again, it's it's kind of in a lot of churches do that on a regular basis, or you know, there's a church on every corner, so it's often that you could find probably almost every week there's some revival or revival meeting taking place. And so there's a lot of opportunities. Up here in the Midwest, it's a little bit different. Um, you Actually, I'll be honest with you, you really don't hear about revival meetings as much uh, or evangelists. If they do, they come maybe for one day, just a Sunday. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a little bit limited. We don't have that. I think maybe what we're doing is we're thinking of, of, of things. How many ever remember the, either you've read the biography or the, maybe seen the movie of Sheffy, Robert Sheffy? All right, a couple of you, I tell you what, that, if you want to know, if, if that's a really good book. If, and it's, a, it's about really a, a circuit riding preacher back in Appalachia, back in the, I think the 1800s, late 1800s. And um, there's a movie that was put out by Bob Jones University many years ago now. Um, but anyways, it's, it's worthwhile to watch it or get the book on Robert Sheffy. Uh, maybe one day we'll we'll talk a little bit of his life. Really fascinating man, and how he he prayed earnestly, and that there were different camp meetings, uh, different revivals, and the Lord did a great work uh, through uh, through Robert Sheffy, and then there's many other people as well. And so we think of these these gatherings and all that. But really, what is revival? I think we have to be careful. This is kind of what I want to bring us to now. So when we think about revival. And I, we didn't mention last time about the history of revival generally. You think of like the Great Awakening that happened during the mid-1700s. Uh, people like George Whitfield and um, Jonathan Edwards, who preached, for example, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, then later on in the 1800s, 1800 to 1840, was known as the Second Great Awakening. Uh, There's the Businessmen's Revival. And one thing that was really interesting during that those years, especially during the Second Great Awakening, is that the the revivals that were taking place were were transatlantic they were happening here in the united states but also they were happening in wales and scotland and england uh in different areas as well almost at the same time for example let's go to the late 1800s for example and you have people like dl moody iris sankey and others and uh dl moody actually preached he was known for preaching great revivals here in the united states but did you know he was also in england he was preaching 
Uh, he was coming a later, later contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. Um, and so the Lord used them in different ways, in different cultures, different cultures accepted. How many ever heard of Billy Sunday before? Okay, more people have. Okay, now we're getting maybe more recent times people are more familiar. Billy Sunday, he was a former baseball player, former drunk. I mean, God just really just changed his life. He became a very adamant preacher. He was not one to mess around, though. Uh, he, he meant business whenever he came to town. I remember the story. My grandparents told me the story. He actually went up to preach up in Roseau County, up on the Canadian border. That's where my family is. If you know anything about Roseau County, it's a bunch of Scandinavians, pretty much all Norwegians and Swedes, a bunch of Lutherans and Catholics and all that. He came in there. He didn't last more than a day. Uh, they, they could, it wasn't, it just wasn't for them. They said, no, this is, it was too much for them. Okay. He was a very unique person. Uh, when he's throwing chairs and tables and all that, I mean, yeah, that, that was his style. He was very vocal, put it that way, very animated guy. But did not the Lord use him in great ways? Absolutely. Uh, praise God for that. So, but kind of bringing this all back together, when we think of revival, a lot of times we're thinking of an event. Like we have a scheduled meeting, uh, such as this July 2023, we had revival meetings at Victory Baptist Church. But that's the meeting. Maybe that's the, the special focus that we have. But really, what is revival? So revival, and we kind of mentioned this before, is this is kind of my definition and probably some degree of this. You can change it. But nonetheless, I think this is the essentials of it. Revival is, I believe, the outpouring of God's spirit working to conform and transform the believer in the image of his dear son. Okay, so true revival then is a response to sin. There's a couple things we see here. It's an outpouring of God's spirit to conform and transform, but true revival is also a response to sin. When you look at the history of revival, whether it be the Great Awakening or I'm reading the uh, the revival that happened in the 1850s in Ulster in, in Scotland, I'm reading that book right now, and over and over you hear these stories what took place in these little villages and these towns and cities in Scotland, and what you find very often is that people were, there was a great amount of sin going on and God broke the hearts of people like, hey, th this has got to stop. God, please intervene. God, work in our lives. Change my heart. And, and you see that kind of spreading and things were turned. The, the, uh, the bars were in taverns were closed, for example, for, for a while. This, this is, this was a response to what was taking place there. So true revival is a response to sin. Okay, and I believe that this is a response to the sin of my own heart. We should say, hey, God, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. I want to be right with you. This, this is very important. So the, based another thing is that true revival is based on sound doctrine. There's a lot of things that pass for revival today, but when it, you really dig into it, all it is is simply emotionalism. Okay, so we got to be careful on that, that true revival needs to be tested by sound doctrine by the word of God. Uh, also, as we just said, true revival is not just emotional. There's an emotional aspect of that. When people are crying out to God on, and confessing their sins and all that, there's an emotion attached to it. However, this is a based on the obedience to God's word. Okay? So true revival, really the hallmark of true revival is those who said, I want to be, be obedient to God's word. Let me just give a quick little example of what happened this morning. When we saw Brandon and Macy come up, I believe God did a work of revival in their hearts because why? It was at the funeral of Eldie, who passed away back in February, that God pricked their heart and they said, you know what? I need to do what's right. I need to obey the Lord. That was their very words that when they came to me, say, hey, I want to be baptized, preacher. They said, God is working in my heart. 
that's a part of revival is longing obedience to the Lord. And I tell you what, they were, I don't know if you saw them. You, you guys didn't see this. When Macy was giving her testimony, she started tearing up. This is what you didn't see. And this is, I'll give you a little bit of behind the pulpit, okay? When uh, Brandon came in, he's a big guy. He came in and he was baptized. When he came up, he was crying. He was so filled with joy. He gave me a big bear hug and I felt it, okay? <laughs> he's, a, he's a good, strong guy. And God was working his life and he was so proud. We were talking as we were going downstairs trying to dry off and he said, wow, I'm excited. I'm excited, preacher. God is working in his heart. Do you remember that? Maybe in your own life, I hope you have a testimony. And you no, know, that doesn't have to stop when you were just saved. This should be a daily thing in our life that we should long for. So the question is, is that's what is revival, but who is revival for? Okay, and now that's what we're going to dig into. So going back to the scriptures now, what is exactly is revival? Look at the again, verse 6 again. Wilt thou not revive us again? This here is a prayer. Okay, this is a prayer. This is a simple and wonderful prayer for revival. It recognizes here that revival is not man-made, but given by God. You understand that? Revival is not man-made. We don't produce revival. We didn't have Colonel Willis come in last week to give us revival. That's not how it works, folks. We believe that God used this man, Colonel Willis, to stir our hearts through the preaching of the word. And that the Holy Spirit would work deeply within our hearts. God does use human instruments in that regard, but ultimately, revival is not man-made. It's not bringing, you know, I could bring the most famous preacher you've ever heard of. We could do that. And we'd get a crowd. We'd fill the pews. But my fear is that we would still have empty hearts. So this is something that we need to be careful about. Revival is not man-made, it's God-given. And praise God for that wonderful gift of revival. And yet it also recognizes that one may and should pray revival and pray with godly expectation. I pray that uh, you have prayed before revival and even after that, God continue that work in my heart. This should be an ongoing prayer, a daily prayer in our hearts. God continue that work in my life. So that's the prayer. Will they not revive us again? God, will you do that again? Revive us again. As we do that, here's the question. When should we pray for revival? Okay, so let's look at a little bit in the context of this passage here now. First of all, we should pray for revival when we remember the great things that God has done in the past. Look with me in verse 1. It says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. What is taking place here is this, that uh, it is believed that this psalm was written as the Jewish people had come back or maybe had just returned back from exile. Uh, from from uh, from Babylon and Persia, as they're coming back, God is is working in their lives. And what is the what are they doing? They're going to build the temple. Zerubbabel, people like Ezra, for example. Later on, a little bit later, Nehemiah comes to build the wall. But there's there's a work of God going on, and there's kind of excitement. They understood this that why was Israel in exile? Why were the Jewish people in Persia in Babylon? It's because of their sin. And God had used that to purge them. Remember, it's interesting that um, the big reason that they were in exile was because of the sin of idolatry. 
Remember they had the high places and the idols and so much wickedness that was going on even in the presence of the temple. And God said, that's enough, okay? And so they, they were taken into captivity. And what happened? 70 years in exile, they come back and there's something you don't see, idols. Now there were idols of the heart, it's a little bit different, but they, the idolatry that had so in, in, um, uh, got their attention before, you don't see that again, okay? Pretty, it's pretty interesting to see that. Now the focus is on the temple and being right with God. So God did a great work in bringing back the captivity. That's amazing. So that's what one thing we should pray for revival is in your prayer, remembering the works of God. That's why on Sunday nights, we take a moment to remember the works of God. What has God done in the past week or so, or maybe even the past year or so? What has God done in your life that was a great work that you can only say, man, only God could have done this. That is what we should take notice of. Don't let that go unnoticed. I think so many times God does a great work and we say, what work? I hope a Christian, don't be so blind to not recognize the work of God in your life. Look around you. Look around what's going on in the church. You saw what happened this morning with the baptisms. That is a work of God, folks. And we should say a hearty amen to that. This is something we should take notice of and rejoice in when it happens. Take a note of it. When God does something in your life, somehow note it. Uh, put it in a memory bank. Put it, Write it down somewhere. Uh, put it in your Bible. These are things that you should say. God answers prayer. When God answers prayer, do you take note of that? Or do you simply just go on with your life? No, we should be, be mindful of what God has done. We should also pray for revival when we sense we are under a cloud of divine displeasure or a evident lack of blessing. Verses four and five kind of illustrate that. Turn us again, or restore us is the idea, O God of our salvation, and, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? So there is a sense of revival where we understand that there is a cloud of displeasure. God is not happy. Why? Because of the sin that's going on. We can say this, is God happy with what's going on in our community, in our, in our state, in our nation, in our world? We know that, but really we should say, what about our hearts? Is God happy with the state of my heart right now as his child? Okay, we have to be understanding and mindful of these things, okay? So as we think about that, uh, this is what Warren Wordsby said, he kind of sums this up here. When we turn back to God, repent and confess our sins, he turns back to us and restores us. And this is the work of revival. It's a restoration. When it says here in verse four, turn us, O God, the idea is simply to restore. The Hebrew word is shuv, which means to turn around or literally make it new again. If you've ever done any restoration work, whether it be on a home or on a vehicle, things like that, you think of that, you bring it back to what it looked like before and maybe even better. Okay, that's the work of God in our life, to restore us. This is very, very important, okay? So when we pray for revival, then what do we pray for? What to pray for? So in the prayer revival, this is verses 4 through 7. We kind of now just read them uh, here together. The work must begin in us. When you pray for revival, pray that the work would begin in us. It's interesting, and I want you, maybe this is a little bit exercise, do a little Bible study, either on a separate notepad, maybe on the back of the bulletin, or if you do so inclined to maybe underline in your Bible or highlight it, things like that. Look with me in verses, um, starting in verse 4 through verse 7, and look at this certain pronoun here the, that the work of revival must begin in us. The word us. 
How many times do you see the word us in verses 4 through 7? Okay, six. That's right. There are six times. Turn us, O God of our salvation, cause thy anger toward us to cease. Okay, skipping on to verse 6. Okay, or verse 5. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou not revive us again? Verse 7. Show us thy mercy, O Lord. Grant us thy salvation. So the focus here in praying for revival is that God would work in us. That is, that's what's taking place here. Okay, so the word turn us, like I said, means to restore us. Now the question is this, turn us from what? Restore us from what? And the answer is found in verse 1, from the captivity. Remember the Jewish people were in exile for 70 years. Man, my word, that nation needed restoration. They were broken and just kind of all over the place. Okay? Um, when you see that happening, the, the captivity comes back and now it's like, hey, God's doing a great work. Let's build the temple. Uh, really amazing what's going on. But here's something to keep in, in mind. Uh, maybe in the future we'll do a, maybe a study on this specifically, but it's interesting of the captivity. When you think of the Jewish people coming back from exile, from coming back from Babylon and Persia, keep in mind that not all the Jews came back. And I'll be honest with you, when you do the chronology, actually fewer Jewish people came back to the land than went into exile. When you actually do the, the numbers, it's interesting. And so, so I think it was around 50,000, give or take, that actually came back to the land. In other words, many Jewish people remained in Babylon and in Persia. And you could go, I, man, we could do a whole study on Jewish history uh, through this time now, because you go later on through uh, the, even the Islamic periods, things like that. My, I, we call her our Israeli mother, Doris. Uh, Mandy, remember, remember Doris? She actually grew up in Baghdad, in Iraq. She was one of the Jewish people who their family stayed there for centuries from the time of the exile. Now today in Iraq, uh, there's maybe just a handful, if any, Jewish people. In Iran, which is old Persia, there's probably around 40,000 Jewish people that are still there today. But many of them over the past years have, uh, have fled or they have gone other places. They've immigrated in other places. Uh, so it's kind of interesting seeing that. So my point is this, not all the Jewish people came back. Here's the point. Not all Jewish people were restored. That's what's taking place here. So the prayer is this. As we look at revival here, will not thou revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? In verse 6, here's the thing. As God, this is the prayer, as God, as you worked in our heart and restored us, Will you not restore all of us, all of our people? That should be the prayer of revival. That God would indeed work in our heart and thank you, God, for what you've done. But Lord, can you please touch my neighbor here? Lord, can you please touch my other friend here, our family member, that God would work in each and every one of our hearts here at Victory Baptist Church, that no one would be left and abandoned from the work of God in their lives. In other words, revival is in you, but it's also a collective us. Would God work in everyone here at Victory Baptist Church? Not just Woody and not just Dave, and praise God he's working, but God will work in every single person here. We have so many guests. I mean, we had guests crawling out of our ears, it felt like, through the revival meetings. Praise God for that. And I pray that they saw God's hand upon their lives during that time. 
And whether or not they choose to remain here with us or go wherever God wants, so be it. But I pray that that would not, and I pray that we would not miss what God did in our hearts during that week and what he is continuing to do. Folks, we again, as we said this morning, I just don't want to put something on the calendar and say, hey, we have revival meetings. No, I want to see God's hand upon every activity that we do here at Victory Baptist Church. To him be glory. That's where it belongs to. Victory Baptist Church, we're simply just a mouthpiece, just a tool for the Lord, a humble servant, a clay vessel to be used in the Lord. So with that in mind, we think about the prayer revival, and the prayer is that it begins in us. Here's the thing. The burden of, this is the burden of the prayer. It identifies the workplace of revival. The workplace of revival is us, is you and me. That's the workplace. That's where it takes place. Okay, so the prayer revival is also for this, and this is key. It is for the Holy Spirit to work in us to revive us or restore us. When we think of revival, think of restoration. So the prayer revival is for the Holy Spirit to work within us. It's interesting that when Zerubbabel uh, was given the task to rebuild the second temple, and you can read this in Ezra, uh, a little bit of Nehemiah, read in Zechariah and Haggai, for example. Uh, you find here that people started building and they left off. In fact, they started building their own houses. In fact, they were building out of cedar and everything was going great. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, they realized, wait a minute, there's, we're missing something here. Oh, yeah, we stopped building the temple. Uh, I think about a whole year had passed. And guess what? God reminded them through the prophets, hey, get back to work. The temple's not done yet. But here's the thing. How was that work to be done? We mentioned this morning about the importance of living in the flesh versus living what? In the spirit. When you are saved, like I said, the spirit indwells you. He gives you the power to live for him and do things for him. Praise God for that power. But the thing is, as we rely on our own strength, what does God tell Zerubbabel and and also Joshua, who's the high priest uh, there in Zechariah 4 verse 6? How is the temple supposed to be built? by their wisdom and their ingenuity and following the blueprints? No. God said this. The work was supposed to be done at the building of the temple, not by might nor by power, but what? But by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. So with that in mind, this is how the work of revival is done. Work accomplished for the Lord has to be done through his spirit to have long-lasting effect. We can put up a building. Hey, we, we got it. We've talked about a couple needed projects around the church in our meeting yesterday. But even though, hey, let's pray that the Lord will be done. We see God's hand. You know what? I, I still can't believe it that God blessed us in giving us an HVAC after how many years of praying for it? And it's like at the right time, God has met that need. And I'll be honest with you. It's like, wow, I, I'm just amazed. That's just one physical need. But can't we see God's power at work even through an HVAC system, which we appreciate, by the way. <laughs> okay, this is very important. Okay, but here's the thing. Revival is really, here's the key. It's the divine work and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Very important, okay? So that's what to pray for. Now, who to pray for? And we touched about this a little bit last time. Let me kind of go through this and give a story. Uh, first of all, when you pray for revival, especially in the local church here, pray for us. Pray for your pastor. Pray for me. I, I greatly appreciate your prayers, Okay. So, but God, ask God to personally revive the pastor, strengthen him against temptation, discouragement, and to fill him with faith, okay? I, I need that too. I'm not a superhero, folks. I'm just, I'm flesh too. 
I need God's strength just as much as you do. Okay? So I'm, I'm not beyond that. Ask God to bless the pastor's work with great spiritual power. Let me show you the example of what that was done. This is a story that took place back in uh, the late 1700s. There was a preacher, a circuit, another kind of a circuit writer preacher. His name was James McGrady. He, uh, this is the story of him. He says, James McGrady is the example of a man who made the most of getting his congregation to pray for him. He was a preacher. He was a man so ugly that he attracted attention. I guess I can relate to that, okay? <laughs> he was a man so ugly he, he attracted attention. McGrady came over the Allegheny Mountains to minister on the frontier of Kentucky. He had uh, a little pine, uh, little little box-like Presbyterian churches. He was a Presbyterian minister. McGrady described the work during the winter of 1799 as, for the most part, weeping and mourning with the people of God. He felt like that whole year, that whole winter, that's all he did. He said he promoted a once-a-month concert of prayer with other churches, but he asked his people to pray for him when the sun set on Saturday for a half an hour and when the sun rose on Sunday for another half hour. McGrady was no specimen as a preacher. He had a bad voice. He had a really croaky voice is what some authors have said. And people noticed his awkward gestures in preaching. He must have been a sight, okay? But in 1800, there came a flood of blessing with meetings as large as 25,000 people that came to hear him. Wow. Doesn't God use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? Simple confound the things that are mighty. So God can use an... Uh, an ugly preacher. <laughs> uh, praise God for that. Okay? So pray for your preacher. Also, in praying for the revival, pray for the congregation. Pray for the church. Pray for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the congregation. Pray for revival. Pray for other churches in our community. Hey, my prayer is this, that other churches, not just Victory Baptist would be blessed, but other churches would be blessed in obedience and following the Lord. Also, pray for revival. Pray for the community in general that Jesus would answer the promise of John 16, 7, 8 by sending the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Pray that God would work and definitely that people would understand their need of salvation and, be, and turn to Him. That is a great prayer to have. Okay? Getting back to the text now, it says here, verse 6, Will that not revive us again? The second part of that verse is this, that thy people may rejoice in thee. So, that thy people may rejoice in God. Praying for revival means praying that God's work among his people would cause them to find their joy in nothing else than in him. That's really what revival leads to, is that we would joy in Christ. Take joy in that. Here's something that interesting. It, it kind of caught my attention as I was reading and studying it this afternoon. Is this that people would rejoice in thee? Here's the thing. I believe this is what's missing in most churches and in most believers' life, is joy. Why don't we have revival? Because we don't have joy. We really don't. We got sad, unhappy Christians or Christians that are totally distracted. They want re no revival. Hit them in the face, okay? But here, here we have something very important here, that joy in Christ should mean more than anything else. Joy is missing in many believers' life. But here's the thing. Where do you find joy? I believe you find joy in the hearts of the revived. You find joy in the hearts of the revived. You want to know that someone's been touched by revival? They have joy in their hearts. Case in point, Macy and Brandon. Amen. They have joy in their hearts. And I pray that because of their testimony, and by the way, I told Brandon and Macy this, I've told Mark this after us, hey, Eldie and Marge, they got to be smiling in heaven. 
Talk about the influence. Don't underestimate the influence of your testimony in the lives of others. They love their grandparents. And I know Ellie and Marge love them. Pour their lives as much as they could into them, directing them to follow the Lord. And now you're seeing the fruit of that. Should we not rejoice with them? Joy is found in the hearts of the revived. It's interesting when we look at Psalm chapter 51, David's cry out to God after his sin with Bathsheba, and really a prayer of revival. He says this in verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. When it comes to revival, revival can hurt, especially when we understand, hey, I got something I need to deal with, and I need God to work in my life. Lord, give me joy and gladness. May my, my bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Verses 10 through 12 says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from thee. What does it say next? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Again, joy is found in the hearts of the revived. Praise God for that, or for the restored. Next verse is verse 7. It says this, Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. The cry is this, Show us thy mercy. You see, revival is a work of God's mercy. It really is. It, is, it isn't earned or deserved. God graciously grants true revival. But here's something to keep in point. As we thank God for his mercy and cry out for it, that's a prayer. God, show us your mercy. May God. Here's the prayer. May God open our half-blinded eyes to the need of God's mercy. May God open our eyes. God's impending wrath is often missed because of our half-blinded eyes. We really don't realize the state of our own souls. We really don't. Do we really? Are we really in touch with what God is wanting to do? Like I said, so many times we get lax in our Christian life. We kind of go through the motions. Yeah, I went to church today. I prayed today. But we really don't take it seriously. Okay? Very important that we see that. God's mercy is evident. This kind of reminds me of the message of the Old Testament prophets. Over and over you see that, whether it be through the major prophets or the 12 minor prophets, you see that the message was very similar to each of their books. And their cry was this, God, in your wrath, your impending wrath and judgment, remember mercy. That was something you hear repeated in the Old Testament prophets. In your wrath, O God, and that was coming because of Israel's sin, Lord, remember your mercy. And that's really what we see right now. And as we see the sin around us, we see the sin that even is in churches today, we cry out that, yes, God, your wrath, your punishment, your chastisement will come, but Lord, remember your mercy. And again, God gives that to us. It's not earned or deserved, but God graciously grants that at true revival. So with that, the next part of that verse is this, grant us thy salvation. In verse, uh, end of verse 7. True revival demonstrates that salvation is God's work. Here's an example. Jonah, he saw the great work of revival in Nineveh, following his, uh, from his, uh, flowing from his embrace of the great principle that salvation is of the Lord. So as we see, the great, grant us thy salvation. God does a great work in many ways. He might do the whole city of Nineveh, or he might just do it with you individually. It's interesting. I always thought this with the book of Jonah, that that whole city turned to the Lord, but there's one person that had a big problem with that himself. Who really needed a revival was Jonah. <laughs> I think that's interesting when you see that. Okay? Here's what Charles Spurgeon says about this work of revival from these verses. 
This includes deliverance from sin as well as chastisement. It reaches from the depth of their misery to the height of divine love. God's salvation is perfect in kind, comprehensive in extent, and eminent in degree. Grant us this, O Lord, and we have all. So God's deliverance. Grant us thy salvation. This is a deliverance from sin, but also his chastisement, his judgment. Praise God for that. Okay? So let's finish up tonight. What do we pray for? What do we pray for the work of revival? Pray full of confidence, knowing that God can revive. He can restore. For boldness, pleading for God for revival, let it begin in me. Let it begin in each of us. And pray with humility, full of humility, desiring not my glory or praise, but God's glory and praise. Spurgeon says this, Those who were revived should rejoice, not only in the new life, but in the Lord, who was the author of it. Revival is that restoration that can only from, come from God. That is not something that I can give you. It's not something that Colonel Willis can give you. Or even the best Sunday school teachers that we have here at Victory Baptist can give you, okay? That only comes through the Holy Spirit of God working in your life. My prayer and my plea is that we be sensitive and open to God's work in our lives. May we turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth, what? Will grow strangely dim. In other words, not that important in the light of his glory and grace.